Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. Four. The lumber, tiles, and other supplies came in piecemeal over the next few days. Showers came and went, then the sky cleared entirely. When it did, Viv and Cal repaired the hole in the roof, shucking old tiles down through the gap to shatter on the floor. She was surprised at how many of the timbers they had to take up to mend it fully. Cal was just as methodical and mindful about the repair work as she'd hoped. It was a hard two days of labor for the both of them, but the roof was fully proof against water again. Next, Cal examined the interior, sounding the boards with a knuckle and several times digging a fistful of dry rotten wood out and shaking his head at it. After four days of prying out old timber and nailing in fresh, Viv started to wonder if they might have been better off rebuilding the whole damn thing. She rented the cart from the miller again to haul away the debris. They built a permanent and sturdier ladder into the loft. Viv was a fast study and a reasonable hand with a hammer and nails. Accurately slinging a slab of metal and striking a target was squarely within the realm of her abilities. When Cal first clambered into the loft and spied black blood glimmering darkly in the corner, he made no comment on it. Cozy, he said instead. Be wanting a bed and dresser, no doubt. No need, said Viv. I'm used to sleeping rough. Used to ain't the same as ought to. But he pressed no further, and that was that. In the main stable area, they did as Cal had suggested, cutting down the stall walls and converting each into a sort of booth. The hob boxed in neat hue benches along the interiors. They pre-assembled tabletops, and Viv easily orc-handled them into place across trestles. Viv cut two high windows into the northern and eastern walls, letting the morning sun crawl down from the loft and into the new dining area. They sanded the office counter and added a hinged extension to the end for extra workspace. Cal repurposed some old tack shelves and moved them to the back wall of what Viv now thought of as the storefront. He also managed to replace some cracked panes in the mullioned front window next to the smaller door. Well, doesn't look much like a staple anymore, observed Viv, watching him fit in the last bit of glass. Hmm, mighty pleased they quit smelling like one too. One afternoon, Viv returned from the cooper with a water barrel on one shoulder and a few buckets in hand. She tucked the barrel in the corner, back of the counter. She drew water from the well a few blocks down, and Cal checked for leaks as she filled it. They converted the back room of the office into a pantry with more shelves. Viv consulted her notes and excavated a pit that she insulated with clay for cold storage. Cal added a neat, hinged door. Viv did the latter work of whitewashing the front, while Cal rechinked mortar between the river stones low on the walls. When she strode back inside, arming sweat from her forehead and hauling the whitewash bucket, she found him inspecting the flagstones, checking the sand between. Her eyes went to the resting place of the scalvert stone, and she had to keep herself from rushing forward to interrupt. Anything need doing there? She asked, trying to sound brisk and natural about it. What if he found the stone? Would he recognize it? And so what if he did? It was fair to say she trusted Cal. And yet, he looked up. Hmm, maybe a little more sand. This one's loose. Might should take it up and pack some underneath. 
He stomped on the flag she'd buried the stone under, and her heart leapt. I'll take care of it, she said, and her smile felt entirely false. Cal didn't seem to notice. Hmm, he said, and that was that. Later that evening, after glances up and down the street to reassure herself that the man with the hat wasn't peering in at her, Viv did take up the flagstone. She removed the scalvert stone and held it in her hand. Warm to the touch, it almost seemed to have a lambent yellow glow, independent of the light of the lantern. Replacing it with care, she scooped fistfuls of dirt to re-level the flagstone and smoothed sand into the crevices again. That night, she dreamed of the Scalvert Queen, but when she drove her hand into its skull to remove the stone, its flesh grew tight around her wrist. As she tried to withdraw her fist, she couldn't, and the flesh firmed, and the Scalvert's many eyes ignited one by one, like signal fires in the dark. Her efforts to free herself grew increasingly frantic until she startled awake. The nerves in her right arm were alight, her hand tingling with pins and needles. After lying awake for some time, she finally slept again, and by morning, she'd forgotten the dream. Days passed in a haze of hot work, aching muscles, slivers, dust, and the smells of sweat and lime and fresh-cut wood. At the end of two weeks, the place looked downright respectable. Viv found herself out in the street a few times a day, hands on her hips, surveying the shop with a rising, warm sense of accomplishment. On one of those occasions, she was startled to find Lainey suddenly beside her. The woman used her broom as a walking stick, leaning her weight on it. Viv had no idea how she'd arrived so silently. Well, fanciest livery I've ever seen, Lainey said, then nodded and went back to her porch. Unsure why she hadn't done it sooner, Viv set up the ladder and tore down the old Parkins livery sign, tossing it into the rubbish pile with real satisfaction. Gonna need a new sign, said Cal, his thumbs hooked into the waist of his breeches, staring up at the vacant iron bracket. You know, said Viv, I took a lot of notes, figured I'd covered most details, but I never really thought about a sign, or a name. She looked down at Cal, just never crossed my mind. It was quiet for a minute, then Cal cleared his throat, and in the most hesitant voice she'd ever heard from him, he ventured, Viv's place? Good as any, I suppose, she replied. I don't have a better idea. He didn't look satisfied. Hmm, maybe, maybe Viv's coffee. I'll be honest, feel strange having my name on anything, like putting your own face on the sign. A pause. Could just say coffee, I suppose. Don't expect there'll be a lot of confusion. Viv squinted hard at him and thought he'd outlast her but then his mouth quirked at the corner. I figure I'll table it for now, she said. Who knows, maybe I'll name it after you. Calamity coffee has a nice sound to it. Cal regarded her, sniffed, and then said solemnly, Well, you're not wrong. Later that week, the bulk of the construction was complete. They built a big trestle table and benches ran between the booths. She and Cal stained and oiled them all, swept the floors clean, and set glass in the new high windows. Viv hoisted a chandelier and secured it to a bolt plate Cal set into the wall. As evening drew on, they lit it with a long taper, both pleased with the glow it cast, the ring shadow pulsing below. At the table, with Viv's notes between them, 
They discussed some of the finer points of furnishings and rugs, and maybe some reeds to freshen the smell of the place. They both halted their conversation at once. In the doorway stood the man in the hat, with company to boot. They were less well-dressed, a motley assortment of men, two humans and a dwarf with a cropped beard and clubbed back hair. Viv saw at least two short swords and would have wagered there were at least six knives between them in one cuff or another. Wondered when you'd stop back by, said Viv. She didn't bother to rise. I'm flattered to have occupied your thoughts, the man said, stepping across the threshold and surveying the renovations with an appreciative nod. You've been mightily industrious. The old place never looked better. Seems you won't be in the business of horseflesh, though. Viv shrugged. His smile from the last visit might never have lapsed in all the intervening days. Look, I enjoy a witty back and forth as much as the next man, but I sense you appreciate directness. I'm merely a representative. My friends call me Lack. You can too. This street, this entire southern quarter, is under the watchful and beneficent eye of the Madrigal. He sketched a bow, as though the Madrigal himself were here to see it. You think I need a watchful eye? Viv's brows rose. We all need someone to watch out for us, replied Lack. This is the part where you let me know about the monthly involuntary donation for, what did you call it, a beneficent eye? Lack cocked a finger at her and his smile widened. Well, you've said your piece. Viv casually dismissed him by returning to the study of her notes. Cal hadn't budged an inch during the entire exchange, his face rigid. Lack's voice developed an annoyed edge. I'll expect your contribution end of the month. One sovereign, two silvers is the going rate. What you expect is your business, Viv's reply was mild. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw the heavies behind Lack make a move to approach, which would have been a laughable mistake, but he stopped them with a gesture. There was a heavy silence while Viv waited for a rebuttal. Then Lack and his crew were gone. Cal let out a long breath and shot her a worried glance. Listen, you don't want to run afoul of the madrigal, he said in a soft voice. When the hob normally spoke, it was always even and solid, like he was laying brick. The change in him made her look at him seriously. That's what Laney said. She put one of her hands on the table and opened it wide. But Cal, I think you have a pretty good idea of what these hands have done. Do you really see me bobbing a curtsy to a bunch of men too stupid to know the odds if they were to tangle with me? Hmm, I don't doubt you'd lay those four low, no problem. But listen, there's a lot more than four of them out there, and the madrigal is a sort to make an example. I've heard a lot of stories and a lot of legends in my time, and they're always worse than the real thing. I can take care of myself here. Maybe so. This place, though, he rapped the table with a knuckle. It ain't fireproof. So, fine, you can take care of yourself, but I figure there's more you got a stake in. Am I wrong? Viv frowned and stared at him lost for words. Cal got up, leveled a finger at her, and said, wait. He rummaged in some of the last remaining supplies and retrieved a hammer and nails. Up on his toes at the wall behind the counter, he banged some brackets into the wood. One, two, three. At least do this. Pull that sword of yours up there, he said. If you're gonna show him you got teeth, 
At least fix it so you can bite when you need to, hmm? When Viv retired for the night, Blackblood rested on those brackets, a killing slab. She wished it was still hidden in the corner. Viv hadn't expected Cal, but around noon, he showed up riding in the back of a cart next to a big black stove and several lengths of stovepipe. She gave him the side eye as he leapt down. What's all this? He shrugged. Hmm, I say you needed a kitchen, and before you say anything, it's already paid for. She tossed up her hands, both amused and exasperated. The horses shied nervously. Where'd you get this? I'm not a baker. He gestured at the upper room. It's cold here in winter and no fireplace to speak of. You want to freeze up there in the loft, laying on the floor, snow on the roof? Give me a hand with this. Viv held her peace as she hefted the stove out of the bed of the wagon, one end at a time. Even for her, the heavy iron thing was difficult to maneuver. She eventually got it down and walked it end by end into the storefront by way of the big doors. Cal carried in the stovepipe, piece by piece, and then paid the impatient driver. She was surprised to find that she was a little winded. Her back was gnawing at her again, too, as she fell onto one of the benches. Can't let you pay for it, Cal. Hmm, too bad. Already paid me too much. Figured if I was gonna waste it on something foolish, this might as well be it. Heat for winter, huh? Cal nodded. And if the bean water doesn't work out? Viv laughed. Speaking of that, she gestured at the counter where a mortar and pestle sat next to a few kettles, a tumble of cloth, and some fired clay cups. Taking up apothecary too? I'll show you but let's get this thing out of the middle of the floor first. At some direction from Cal, she positioned the stove against the west wall, and after some figuring and fussing and cursing, he got the stovepipe affixed. With a little cutting by brace drill and saw, and some arch comments from Viv, he fed the pipe out through the flange where it met the wall. A few hours later, they had the end run up past the eaves and topped with a rain cap. They made do with some scrap for kindling and started a small blaze in the side box. The smoke drew up and out just fine. All right, said Viv. Get some water in one of those kettles and put it on. Cal raised his eyebrows. Bean water. You want to test the stove or not? He shrugged and went about it, filling the kettle from the water barrel. Viv dug out a handful of coffee beans from one of the sacks, crushed them in the mortar, and poured the grounds into a tube of linen. She stretched the tube over the mouth of one of the clay cups, and when the kettle whistled, she slowly poured boiling water through, a little at a time. Is that a lady stocking? asked Cal. Viv glanced at him. It's clean, I don't wear stockings. Just asking, he said mildly. Hmm, she said. It seemed he was rubbing off on her. How exactly were you planning to use that kettle with no stove? He asked pointedly. Hmm, needed it to fill the machine that's coming. Just a happy accident. Viv completed a last spiraling pour and waited for the swollen grounds to steep. Removing the linen sleeve and swirling the cup, she closed her eyes, brought it to her nose, and inhaled deeply. She took an experimental taste and smiled, nodding. That's not half bad. Cal frowned at her. Now, she said defensively, this isn't as good as it'll be when I can make it right, but she handed him the cup. He made a big show of sniffing at it. 
He raised his eyebrows and nodded a little. Very slowly and very delicately, he sipped at it. Then he held it in his hand and stood there. After what Viv considered an overly generous few moments, she couldn't help herself. Well? Hmm, said Cow. I'll allow. It's actually not that terrible. Later, they sat at the big table, each with their own cup. Cal pretended to ignore his, but Viv caught him stealing cautious sips now and then when he thought she wasn't looking. She held her own in both hands contemplatively, absorbing the heat and the scent. It felt like completing a loop, like the satisfying click of a clasp snapping closed. So, she said, you can also make these with milk. You might like it. Milk? Cal made a face. Better than it sounds. You'll have to try it once I have the machine. The gnomes called it a latte. Latte? That means something. Named after the gnomish barista who invented them, I think. Latte diameter. Cal gave her a long-suffering look. Can't explain what one word means with another word nobody knows. What's a barista? Cal, I didn't invent the words. Folks gonna need a new education just to buy some bean... Some coffee. I don't know, I kind of like it. It's more exotic that way. Lady stockings and exotic bean water. God's help us. Five. The jobs board sat at the east end of the largest square in Thune. It was long and low and beneath newer scraps of parchment or foolscap, furred with the ragged flakes of a hundred others. As Viv scanned the notices, she endured a weary onrush of memory, beast hunts, bounties, and battles. She might have torn down five score of those sheets herself in one city or another, knuckles bloodied, to claim her due for a job done. She'd even posted a few in her time, a hireling here, filling out a hunting party there. This one was nothing like the others. She spiked her notice on one of the many iron studs and read over what she'd written. Assistant wanted, must be willing to learn. Management and food service experience desired. Advancement opportunities. Patience a plus. Wages commensurate. Inquire at the old livery on Redstone, afternoon to dusk. It was a long shot, but the Scalvert Stone hadn't let her down yet. She returned to the shop, but found herself restless and pacing. She'd sent by post for her most important delivery on her first day in the city, and while the coffee had shown up promptly, the other parcel had yet to arrive. With the shop repaired and cleaned and nothing upon which to expend her nervous energy, she felt thwarted. After weeks of steady work and with Cal absent, her hands itched with the inactivity. At last, in exasperation, she gathered her notes into her satchel and hiked to the pub she'd visited on her first night in Thune. She sat at a table in the back, ordered a meal, and made increasingly irrelevant lists. When noon arrived, her meal remained half-eaten, and her nervous organizational efforts were in shambles, so she lunged from her seat, paid, and stalked back to the shop to wait. The idea that an applicant would arrive on the first day was, of course, ludicrous. But the Scalvert Stone, well, she either trusted its power, or she didn't. And if she did, the Scalvert Stone of Fire draws the ring of fortune. Viv started a fire, boiled water, ground some beans, and made a cup of coffee, which she drank too quickly. Then she made another, 
and another. As a result, she was nervier than ever and wished she'd written other instructions on the advertisement, or that her probably misplaced faith in the power of the stone wasn't keeping her corralled there. Did she really believe it would deliver results so soon? Black blood hung ominously on the wall, and she found herself wanting to take it down to sharpen it and to lose herself in the repetitive, familiar action of it, but she forced her gaze away. She found herself annoyed that Cal had made her hang it up, and then angry at herself for blaming him, since that was a stupid thing to think. Viv could have juggled the man one-handed. He'd hardly made her do anything. And then, in late mid-afternoon, there was a rap on the door, and it opened briskly. A woman strode in, glancing about in a way that was both cautious and confident. She was tall, not as tall as Viv, of course, with glossy black hair cut severely at chin length. She wore breeches and what looked like a sweater, dark and shapeless, with a collar that covered her throat. Her face was aristocratic, her eyes dark. Viv also noted with surprise the short stubs of horn parting her hair, the hint of dusty magenta in her skin and her whipcord tail. The woman was clearly a succubus. Viv's head was already buzzing from her fourth cup of coffee, and she started up from her seat. The woman slowly looked her up and down, but her expression didn't change. She glanced deliberately at black blood on the wall, and then back. Assistant wanted, she said. It wasn't a question. Her voice was throaty, but she spoke precisely. Ah, that's right, replied Viv, and just stood there. The woman's eyebrows slowly rose, and she closed the door behind her. She held out a hand. Tandry, she said. Viv, she awkwardly returned the handshake, cursing herself for drinking so much coffee. I'm sorry, I didn't expect anyone to actually show up on the first day, she said, which was absolutely untrue, but seemed a good excuse for how scattered she probably appeared. I like to be prompt, said Tandry. Good, good. Viv tried to get hold of herself. She'd hired help before. Sure, they'd been mercenaries and cut purses, but the principle was the same. Lay out the job, set forth the terms, get a feeling for whether they'd cut and run at an inconvenient moment, and then make the call. Easy. So, I'm looking for an assistant. I guess that's clear from the notice. The job's, uh, it's sort of, um, you ever hear of coffee? The succubus shook her head, her hair moving like a liquid curtain. I have not. Well, that's fine, it doesn't matter. Uh, tea, though, you know, tea. I'm opening this shop soon, kind of like a tea shop, but coffee, and can't run it all by myself. I need somebody willing to learn the work, take customers, help with whatever needs doing, probably some cleaning, too, and they'd make coffee, you know, as needed, after some instruction, from me. Uh, I wrote food service experience in the notice. You have that? Tandry's expression didn't falter in the slightest. I do not. Um, the succubus inclined her head at Viv. Do you? Viv's mouth hung open for a moment, until she eventually managed, I do not. I am willing to learn. That was higher up on the notice, said the woman. That's true. Viv scratched the back of her head. Gods, this was so awkward. Advancement opportunities, it also said prompted Tandry. What sorts of opportunities? I did write that, didn't I? Well, I mean, if things went well, I guess it would depend on what your interests were. There was a very awkward pause. Viv wrestled with what she was about to say. She'd never been skilled at putting things delicately, 
It had never been particularly important up till now. Succubi had a reputation for certain biological imperatives. Were their needs and predilections even a choice? She forged onward. You're a succubus, right? At the implied addendum to that question, Tandri's expression changed for the first time. A pinching of the lips, a tightening around the eyes. Her tail lashed behind her. I am, and you're an orc, running a nut tea shop. No judgment from me, Viv babbled, feeling on the precipice of a great mistake, but stumbling forward nevertheless. I only ask because, no, I have no desire to vamp your customers if that's your question. Tandri's voice was icy. That wasn't what I was planning to say, said Viv. I would never assume that. I've just never worked with one of you, and I wasn't sure about your needs. Gods, this was agonizing. Her cheeks were aflame. Tandri closed her eyes and crossed her arms in front of her. Her cheeks were flushed as well. Viv was absolutely sure she was about to turn on her heel and leave. She sighed. I apologize. Look, I am very bad at this. I don't really know what I'm doing. She hooked a thumb at the greatsword on the wall. This is what I know, what I've always known. I just want to know something else now, to be something else. Everything I said was stupid. I, of all people, ought to know better than to assume anything based on what you were born as. Before you walk out, do you mind if I start over? Tandri took a slow breath in through her nose, out through her mouth. There's no need to start over. Ah, said Viv, disappointed. I understand. Why waste the time? We've covered most of the particulars, continued the succubus, briskly. So, wages commensurate? Viv goggled at her for a moment, and then stammered, Three silver, eight bits a week to start? Four silver. I, yes, that's fine. Acceptable. Then you want the job? I do. Tandri held out her hand again. Viv shook it in a daze. Well, then, welcome aboard. I, thanks. She'd set out to hire an assistant, but she had the overwhelming sense that she just acquired a partner without meaning to. She couldn't help wondering who had interviewed whom. It's settled then, said Tandri. A pleasure to meet you, Viv. Then she turned and left, closing the door gently behind her. Patience a plus, Viv murmured. It was several minutes before she noticed that she hadn't even specified when the work would start. But somehow, she wasn't worried about it. Viv went directly to the square and tore down her notice, which hadn't hung for more than seven hours. She folded it and tucked it into a pocket, then returned to the shop, where she wiped away the debris of her furtive bean grinding. Afterward, Viv went out and ate a hearty meal, coming home pleasantly warm and full. As she sat toying with the witching rod in the dining area, her gaze returned again and again to the place where the scalvert stone rested. Later, staring at the ceiling from her bedroll, she thought about her impending delivery and the feeling of potential motion building in her. All that remained was for that last obstruction to be kicked away. She heard a thud on the roof tiles. Heavy footfalls clattered noisily as something large tracked to the western wall. There was a pregnant pause and then a thump. Viv quietly stole from her bedroll, descended the ladder and paced the dark and quiet street, trying to see under the roof before checking the alley to the west, but she found nothing.
6. Viv's lack of concern was vindicated, and Tandri did indeed turn up the following morning. Viv was wringing out her wet hair into the street, a half-full bucket by her side. She'd reverted to camp bathing after discovering she disliked visiting the nearest bathhouse. She coiled up her hair and pinned it, then stood, palming water off her face. I should have said when we'd start, she said. Can't open yet, still waiting on a delivery. It seemed there was plenty to do already, Tandry observed. She was just as severe and direct as the previous day, with none of the sensual sway that Viv had noted in other succubi she'd met, although admittedly that was a vanishingly small number. Only the syrupy gloss of Tandry's hair and the sinuous lash of her tail hinted at anything but crisp efficiency. Oh? asked Viv. I'll need to know what I'll be doing. No time like the present. Right. Well, I can't really show you the particulars until the equipment gets here, but the plan for today was to sort out some dishware and furnishings. I'm not much of a decorator, but I've got a few ideas. I was going to find a potter, then see about tables for the street, some chairs, maybe? She waved vaguely. Some paintings. I thought this would be the easy part, but it's very fiddly. If I can make a suggestion, said Tandry. It didn't sound like a question. Viv made a be-my-guest gesture. Thune Market is today and tomorrow, the same as every week. If you want to be thrifty about it and save a lot of needless wandering, that's what I'd recommend. Willing to tour me around? It's your silver, said Tandry, and while her tone was as even as ever, Viv thought she caught the ghost of a smile. In Viv's experience, most of the non-martial folk she met stepped carefully in her presence, as though cringing from a blow that would never come. She enjoyed the succubus's frank disposition. Cal had an entirely different species of that bluntness. She wondered again about the scalvert stone and what it promised to draw to her. Viv locked up and followed Tandry north of the high street to a long, curving thoroughfare where many of the tradesfolk clearly had permanent storefronts or workshops. She was surprised to note that it was near where she'd visited the locksmith when she'd first arrived. Most vendors had awnings, tables, and displays set up on the wide street, and there was already a thickening mass of shoppers. They browsed for a few hours, past noon. Viv kept her eyes out for the items on her list, and Tandry deftly steered her away from some bad buys, noting subtle cracks in pottery or poor joins in ironwork. Without prompting or permission, she took over the process of negotiation, and Viv could see that, despite how thoroughly she cloaked herself in neutral clothing and poise, and Tandry didn't trade on physical allure at all, the merchants responded to something. In the end, Viv paid for a full set of clay plates, mugs and cups, and a pair of much larger copper kettles. She also secured a hefty box of pewter spoons and cutlery, a utensil hanger, a rug, two wrought iron tables with chairs to match, five wall lanterns, assorted cleaning supplies, and a scattering of pastoral paintings that Viv thought looked blurry, but Tandry maintained were evocative. In most cases, the succubus secured delivery as part of the deal, although Viv carried the box of cutlery and the utensil hanger under one arm as they left. After dropping them off at the shop, Viv insisted on thanking Tandry with a late lunch. There was a fay-run eatery on the high street that was only open during the day, and somehow it seemed appropriate to the moment. The day was warm, and the smell of the river was strong. They sat at one of the tables in the street. Fay cuisine was known for its buttery breads and artful presentation, and while Viv wasn't normally particular about what she ate, 
she had to admit that she'd acquired a taste for it. So, she said, as they waited on their meal, have you always lived here, in Thune? No, replied Tandry, poised in her seat. I've lived lots of places. The succubus then smoothly redirected. And you're clearly not the cosmopolitan sort. Why Thune? Viv thought about the ley lines, the real reason she'd chosen Thune, and figured that was thorny to explain. She settled on a truthful but less complicated response. Research, she said. Viv glanced ruefully down at herself. You wouldn't know it to look at me, but I do a lot of reading. Anyway, once I got it in my head to do this, I spent a lot of time in Athenaeums, talked to a lot of people, and this seemed the best place for plenty of reasons. Coffee, said Tandry, quirking a small smile. Not tea. Long-held dream or just a change of pace? Viv explained her encounter with it in Azimuth a little more eloquently than she'd managed with Cal. Tandry looked thoughtful. Seems a far cry from what you might have done before. Hmm, and what line of work do you assume I was in? Viv arched a brow. Tandry looked stricken. You're right, that was stupid, especially- Viv snorted. I'm just baiting you. My hide's thicker than that. And for what it's worth, your assumption isn't wrong. You don't get this many scars farming. Tandry gave her a searching look and then appeared to relax. Their food arrived, and once the fay server left, Tandry lifted her mug of weak beer. Well, to misplaced assumptions. Viv raised her own drink. I'll toast to that. As they ate, Viv continued. I think I'd been looking for a way out for years. Adventuring, fighting, hunting bounties. You're either bleeding yourself slow from a hundred wounds or waiting on one death blow. But you get numb to the possibility of anything different. This was the first time something else made me feel a way I wanted to keep feeling. So, here I am, and with some blood still in me. Tandry nodded, but said nothing. Viv waited, thinking Tandry might have something to say on her own behalf, but she quietly ate instead. Maybe another time. Still, it was a very pleasant meal. When they returned to the shop, an enormous gnomish crate sat in the street out front, and waiting atop it, legs dangling, sat a sturdy dwarf Viv knew well. Rune, she cried. What in all the hells are you doing here? He leapt down and approached, tugging nervously at his braided mustache. Just making a delivery to an old friend, he said. Come here, you old stump, she said, opening her arms wide. His face broke into an expression of relief, and he embraced her. Have to say, wasn't sure you'd want to see me, the way you left. She got down on one knee to bring their faces closer to level. I'm sorry about that. If I'd stopped to explain, tried to lay it all out, I thought I'd talk myself out of it. Wasn't fair to you or the others, but she shrugged helplessly. He searched her face, then nodded decisively and clapped her on the shoulders. Well, you can tell us now you're clear of it, true? Yeah, I can do that. Then she looked up at the crate. But the delivery? Ah, well, my brother Kana runs the carriage post out of Azimuth. Saw your name, was curious, and let me know. I offered to ride security. Done it before. I have to say, after seeing the crate, I'm fair burning to know what you're up to. His eyes flicked behind her. Oh, this is Tandry. She's working with me. Viv stood and made introductions. Tandry, this is Rune. We ran together for, 
Oh, for years, I guess. Until very recently. Pleased to meet you, said Rune. Likewise. Well, we can't just stand in the street like this, said Viv. She unlocked the shop, then unbarred and opened the big doors. Rune, help me move this thing inside. Together, they hauled it onto the long table. Tandry followed them bemusedly. All right, said Viv. You're curious? You want to do the honors? Don't mind if I do, Rune replied. He took the edge of the hatchet he kept on his belt and gently popped up the corners of the lid, and they slid it off. Inside, nestled amidst wood shavings, was a large silver box, crowded with ornate pipework, gauges behind thick glass, a set of knobs and dials, and a pair of long-handled contraptions along the front. Viv, said Rune, who was standing on the bench to peer down into the crate. I haven't the faintest damned idea what that is. It's a coffee machine, mused Tandry aloud, isn't it? That's exactly what it is, said Viv, with great satisfaction. Coffee, said Rune. Is this what you were on about back in Azimuth? He shot a glance at Tandry. Couldn't stop belaboring it. Yep, Viv smiled at him. Well, what in the hell are you planning to do with it? Asked Rune. Help me get it out of here, and I'll tell you. They shortly had it up on the countertop and the crate out in the street. Viv drew the big doors closed again. She wasn't interested in another unexpected visit from Lack, especially none right now. With Rune here, she might find it more difficult to rein in her desire to knock him bloody. A pamphlet was packed into the crate amongst the shavings. Tandry claimed it and perused it while Viv and Rune chatted at the big table. After Viv explained her plans and what she'd done with the place, Rune gave the building a longer, more appreciative inspection. Phew, he said. Well, Viv, when you go at something, you don't go at it soft. Can't say I understand how you plan to make it work, but you never ran into a fight without knowing how it was going to turn out. Guess I trust your gut over mine. Not sure about that, said Viv, but I did my best not to leave too much to chance. Rune squinted at her when she said it, and seemed like he might press for more. So, how's Galena? asked Viv, hurrying past the uncomfortable potential of that topic. Can't say she wasn't stung, but you know her, tough as they come. Maybe still sore, but she'll be fine. You know, if you want me to say something, carry a letter, maybe. I should write her, but I think I ought to take a little time to think about it. You all still pass through Varian? Course. Easiest route to most places. I'll send her something there after I figure out what to say. Tell her, well, tell her I'm sorry I left the way I did. Rune nodded, then drummed his hands on the table. And speaking of leaving, I have to be getting on. Day's running down and a long way to go tomorrow. But before I do, he rummaged in a pouch at his belt and pulled out a small gray stone with three wavy stripes engraved on the side. Blinkstone, asked Viv. Yep, said Rune. I've got the match to it on me. I know you're set up here, don't expect any problems, but you ever get into trouble, things don't go the way they should, you toss this into a fire, I'll get the signal and I'll find you, now that I know where you are. It's going to be fine, Rune. Well, sure it is, but also, maybe someday you find you need to get back out there. He held up his hands before she could protest. Not saying you will, not saying it's even likely, but better prepared, true? She took the stone from him. Better prepared, 
Sure. It was the last thing she wanted, but he was doing her a kindness, and after she'd left them behind without explanation, the least she could do was graciously accept a friendly overture. Then I'll be off, he said briskly. He rose and embraced her again. He made a short bow to Tandry, adding, A pleasure, miss. Viv saw him out. It was good to see you, Rune, truly. Give Galena and Tyvis my apologies. And Fennis? Rune grinned at her. A swift kick in the arse. Hmm, she said. I'll see you. Take care, Viv. And he departed into the night. Sorry about that. Viv returned to find Tandry still perusing the gnomish booklet. Honestly, there's no need for you to be here this late. I lost track of time, should have cut you loose an hour ago. The succubus looked up from her reading. After all this, I think I have to know how this works. I'm not sure I can stand to be in suspense overnight when it's sitting right here. She briefly touched the gleaming machine. It looked so modern and glossy there on the counter. Gnomish engineering really was a marvel. It wasn't exactly like the one Viv had seen in Azimuth, but close enough, and now that Rune had left, her excitement rose, along with some queasy trepidation. You already know how it works, asked Tandry. For the most part, said Viv, who stared at it, her eyes roving over curving pipes and polished glass plates. Well, Tandry's expression had given way to something with more humor in it. Don't leave me on tenorhooks. Right, so, fire. Viv located the small door along the front and flipped it open. An oil reservoir and wick were just visible. She found a long sulfur match, struck it, and lit the wick, closing the door after. And water. She filled a kettle from the water barrel, opened another door along the top, and carefully decanted water into the reservoir. While she retrieved a bag of beans from the storeroom, she heard a rising, gentle hiss, and by the time she returned, the gauges along the front had begun to twitch. There was a clever grinding mechanism at one end, and she poured a measure of beans into yet another compartment. She unlatched one of the long-handled devices from the front of the machine and slotted it in below the grinder. Once the right-hand gauge crept into the blue section on its face, she flipped a lever and a rumbling whine sounded as the beans were ground and packed tightly into the scoop of the handle. Can you pass me one of those mugs? Tandry obliged, watching the whole process with interest. Now for the final bit, said Viv, reseating the scoop in its original location, placing the mug beneath, and flicking another lever. A louder, sharp hissing, a gurgle, and the machine thrummed as water surged through the silver pipework. After several seconds of increasing noise, a steady trickle of brown liquid poured into the mug below. Viv waited a bit too long to cut the switch, but she could tell immediately that she'd mostly done it correctly. The smell that rose from the mug was rich and warm and nutty and perfect. She brought it to her nose, closed her eyes, and inhaled deeply. God, yes, that's it. Relief and elation surged through Viv in equal measure. I really like it this way, but for a first-timer. Viv held the mug under another spout and pressed a trigger along the top, and hot water burbled into the cup until it was nearly full. She turned carefully to Tandry and held the mug out. Here, go on. Careful, though, it's hot. Tandry gravely took the mug and held it in both hands, tentatively sniffing at it. She brought the brim to her lips, blew on it for several seconds, 
and then took a very cautious sip. A long pause. Oh, said Tandry. Oh, my. Viv grinned. This just might work. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy Legends and Lattes wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.